We are in part five of the series, The Church, and we're looking at um, the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And Jesus writes seven letters to seven local churches, and today we're going to look at his letter to the church in Tyra. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it, Tyra. Um well, that's what it said on Google, Tyra. So um, let me give you a bit, bit of background about Tyra. I, I think we have the map. So Tyra is a little bit south of Pergamum, which uh, we were at last week. Um, the thing about Tyra, a little bit about the city, Tyra was known for its craftsmen. It was kind of like a, a trade kind of a city. Um, so there was a lot of skilled workers. Now, what's interesting is um, when you have a lot of skilled workers, um, what you find is you get trade unions. And, and literally, there was this thing called a trade guild, which is like a trade union. And so the skilled workers would all come together in their own um, trade guilds. And they would hang out and they'll celebrate. You know, they'll share knowledge and skills and resources. And within these um, merchants and, and craftsmen was the local church in Tyra. Now, these trade unions, these trade guilds are going to become really important because what, what these guilds had was they had what they call a patron god. So what they would do is, say all the, the chippies, um, so all the carpenters would come together and they would worship together this pagan god, this, 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 this patron god, to, I guess, bless you know, the wood and bless the tools and, and things like that. Now, now you can see where the problem is going to come in for the Christians. These Christians who are dedicated to worshipping uh, the, the one and true God are now having to mix with a bunch of non-believers who have to, uh, who are getting together to um, worship these local gods. And now what would happen is uh, food would be sacrificed to these local gods, as was the tradition. And then that food would then be shared out and eaten at these big uh, feasts that all these crass people would have. But not only that, uh, everyone will get really excited because most likely there was alcohol involved as well. And so these feasts would happen at a temple. The food would be sacrificed and would be eaten. And at the end of the night, the meeting would end in uh, debauchery. Now, for those that don't know what debauchery is, debauchery is a biblical word. Okay, I'm not just making it up. But it pretty much is like a huge sex orgy. Okay, so debauchery is just all about immoral sex, okay? So that's what these trade unions would, would get together to do. So obviously, for Christians in this city, this is going to cause them a bit of a problem, okay? So that's the context, okay? So let's go through the letter. Four things. I don't know if you can... We should have a test. I'm going to have a test next week. How's that? Four things, Okay. Jesus' description of himself, the commendation of the church, so the praise of what the church is doing well, the condemnation of the church, what the church isn't doing well, and then finally Jesus will finish with the promise. Is everyone good? Okay, three of you are good. Okay. Everyone good? All right, here we go. Lord's self-designation, verse 18. We're in Revelations 2, 18 to 29. 
To the angel of the church in Tytira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, Jesus begins this letter with the description of himself. And remember, every description that Jesus gives of himself is purposed, right? It's intentional. And this is the one and only time that Jesus is going to describe himself as the Son of God. Words of the Son of God. What does that imply? It implies authority and it implies supremacy. This is who I am. Now, if I told you, I was the son of Bill Gates. You would look at me different because of who my daddy is, right? If I told you, if I turn up and say, my dad is Barack Obama, right? You would look at me different because of who my father is. And Jesus says, I am the son of God. Jesus is provoking, he's wanting And trying to help people understand who he is in terms of his authority and his supremacy. Now, his eyes are described like blazing fire and his feet like burnished bronze. Without going into too much symbolism, remember, this is a tradies town. Okay? These tradies understand. They're going to understand what fire looks like and what bronze looks like. Okay? So, that's... Jesus' self-description. Secondly, we have Jesus' commendation and praise in verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. And one of the most common things that we see in the letters from Jesus is is this personal nature. I know. I think it's been honestly one of the most encouraging things for me as I'm reading and I'm, and, and, and I'm studying these letters is this idea that, wow, Jesus, he knows. He knows people personally. He knows you personally. He knows what you're going through personally. Oh, what an encouragement that is. There are five things that Jesus knows about the believers in Tytira. Their deeds, their love, their faith, their service, and their perseverance. You know, I read that list and I said, man, if that was what Jesus wrote about the chapel, that would be a good church. That we'd be known for our love, our deeds, our faith, our service, our service and our perseverance. Amazing. What a, what a line of privilege. And Jesus finishes by saying that, that you are doing more than you first did. You're doing more than you first did, which shows this picture of growth and maturity. What what an amazing praise that is. You are now doing more. Good job. Really good job to the church in Tytira. And then Jesus, you know, bread, meat, bread, right? So (laughs) you guys don't know that, right? Okay, it's okay. If you get to know me, you'll know what bread, meat, bread is. James knows the bread, meat, bread. Um, Jesus will then now turn from commendation to condemnation. And you know what? I was thinking about this. Jesus isn't going to give condemnation to the church because he doesn't love the church. He's going to condemn the church because he loves the church. You know, we, 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 we get upset at people that we love. When they do things wrong, we, we get upset because we love them. You know, if we didn't love them, then we wouldn't care, right? And so Jesus condemning the church is not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's really a sign of his love for the church. 
I'm going to warn you now, Jesus goes to town on this church. Okay? Here we go, verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, you toler- tolerate, tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrifices to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Tytira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Now this is the largest letter that Jesus writes and these guys get an absolute slamming. Let me summarize why they get slammed. Jezebel was the name of a queen in the Old Testament. And what Jezebel is famous for is that she introduced idol worship. She introduced uh, uh, foreign idols to the people of Israel. And it was so that uh, she, she brought the idol in and it wasn't necessarily don't, uh, don't worship God and just worship this idol, but she brought it in as an alternate Focus of worship. And I was like, you can worship God, but you can also worship this idol. Now, Jesus is condemning the church at Tyatira that they have been led astray by someone. And that someone isn't even someone external. She's actually declaring herself to be a prophet in the church. She didn't directly say, don't worship God. But similar to last week in the church at Pergernum, what she'd say is to the Christians, hey, you can worship God. You can worship Jesus, but you can also worship the local gods. You know, you can attend the feast, you can eat the sacrificed food, and you can get involved in the debauchery. You can do both. The prophet, symbolized under the name Jezebel, was persuading the believers to compromise on their beliefs and their deeds. And she herself, it said, was warned but refused to repent. And the list of consequences of this, this unrepentance is very severe. And I think it's, it's for us to understand and really take to heart that the consequences of disobedience to God, it's not just a slap on the wrist. It says, I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. I will strike her children dead. Pretty severe consequences. And something that we need to note, when you go against God, the consequences are severe. Jesus makes comparison to those who had followed the teachings of Jezebel uh, and, and those that have compromised their faith with those that did not. Verse 24, now I say to the rest of you. And once again, uh, and this is something that I only picked up this, this series, is it's not the whole church that's, that's, uh, uh, that's sinning. It's a part of the church. 
And there's a part that is being faithful. And, and Jesus is saying, now to, I say to the rest of you in Tyre, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on, on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus calls the ones that are faithful to persevere, to hold on. Just hold on until I come. Now, Jesus finishes in verse 26 to 29 with the promise. To the one who is victorious, does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. The one, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is the promise that Jesus is giving to those that are victorious. And, and how, how do you know you're victorious? You're there on the last day. Does my will till the end. And the promise is that they will be given authority over the nations just like Jesus had been given by God. Jesus is ultimately sharing the, the gift and the promise and the authority that was given to him and sharing in the triumph. This is emphasized in the next verse where Jesus says that they will receive the morning star. Now, what's the morning star? In, in, in Rome, the morning star was a symbol of victory or sovereignty. That Jesus will give them that victory and the power to rule nations just like him. And you've got to think, you've got to think, right? Why is this important? Because this is the message to the believers in Titeria who are most helpless in their situation. They don't rule anything. They're just tradies. They're just workers. They're just craftspeople. They don't have power. They don't have status. They don't have prestige. But what Jesus is saying is, if you stick with me to the end, I will give you that authority. And I will give you that status. What an encouragement that is to the believers in Titira. Now, the question we ask every week is, what does this letter to that church have to do with us? Okay? Now, it's going to be around these two words, consistency and integrity. The question that arises from this letter is, is who is called to be consistent and, and who is called to live a life of integrity? Now, let's define this. Integrity, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Okay? Now, the word consistency Constantly adhering to the same principle, course, or form. So, consistency says, no, no, sorry. Integrity says to stand by what you believe in whatever situation you're put in. And consistency says to do it over and over again. Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, you would have heard this term, Sunday Christian. Okay? Now, as much as people might go, wow, that's a really nice term. It's not a nice term. Okay? If someone ever calls you, hey, you're an awesome Sunday Christian, don't be like, wow, thank you. You know? Okay? It's not, it's not a nice term. A Sunday Christian is one that is a Christian on a Sunday, but doesn't act or believe like one on every other day. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay, that's a Sunday Christian. Uh, someone that attends church, prays, gives, sings, smiles at church. But as soon as Monday rolls around, it's as if God does not exist in their life. Now, that is a Sunday Christian. Now, you know what? Uh, without pointing people out or without, you know, every church is going to have Sunday Christians. But there's actually another one. There's one called a Sunday church Christian where they're only a Christian, not even all, all day Sunday, just the two hours that they're at church, right? It, they act differently in the church, but as soon as they're out that door, it's, it's as if God does not exist at all. Now, what's interesting is when you look at the statistics. Now, most people know, if you've been coming to this church for a while, I love statistics. Not studying them, but playing with them. Now, let me share a statistic. If you're a Sunday Christian, right, that's one out of seven days, okay? Let's go, 24 hours. I'll give you the sleep time. That's 14.2% a week, okay? So if you're a Sunday Christian, okay, for 24 hours, that means you are Christian for 14.2% a week, okay? Now, if you go one more step and you're a Sunday church Christian, okay, and you literally are Christian for the two hours that you're in church, and, you know, our service is only an hour and a half, so I'll give you 30 minutes. I'll give 15 on each side. That's 1.2% a week, right? 1.2% of the week you're calling yourself a Christian, right? That's when you act like a Christian. That's when you sing like a Christian. That's when you believe like a Christian. But for every other part of your week, you're not, right? Now, you, go, you look at those numbers, you go, okay, that's sort of, you know, you, you sort of understand that. But now let me flip it, Okay? That means, right, if you're a Sunday Christian, you're a non-Christian for 50, uh, sorry, 85.8%. Okay? Now, how did I come up with that? It's really simple. It's 100 minus 14.2. Okay? For those that don't know how mathematics works. Even if you're just one day Christian, that means 85% of your life, you're actually not a Christian. Now, if you're a Sunday church Christian, right, 1.2%, that means for 98.8%, you're actually a non-Christian. You round that, that's 99%. I'm just giving you some facts, right? This is just basic mathematics. What's interesting is we look at those percentages and we go, wow, there's such a big discrepancy. But it's so interesting because people who just come to church on a Sunday and believe just for the two hours, or even if you go that whole day, we're so proud to be like, I'm a Christian. We tell everyone in the world, hey, I'm a Christian. And you actually look at the percentages and you kind of got to scratch your head and go, wait a minute. You're 85.8% non-Christian. You're 14.2% Christian. And you're saying to everyone that your identity is Christian? You, you're a Christian for two hours a week. You come and go to church two hours, and that's the only time you actually think about God. You're actually a non-believer for 98.8%, and yet you go around and you tick the Christian box? Think about it like this. Out of 100 meals, if I have one salad, right? Out of 100 meals, I have one salad. If I went around telling everyone, hey, I'm vegetarian, 
I'm a vegetarian. I had a salad, one out of a hundred. I'm a vegetarian. No one would believe me, right? No one would accept that. Even if I had 14.2 salads in a hundred days, which I don't. Even if, I, even if I just had vegetables on one day of the week and then every other day I just ate whatever I want. If I put on my Facebook profile, I said, I'm a vegetarian. People would be like, you're a liar. You're going to go to hell. Because that's where liars go. Some people get that joke. Some people won't. That's okay. Do you get what I'm saying, bud? It's so funny how we commit to this identity. It's so funny how we commit to this identity of being a Christian with such little percentage. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you tried this in your marriage? You have this big wedding, big celebration. You get down, you know, you, you, you commit, you make vows, you make promises to this person. You know, I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. And then you suddenly get married and you, you, you're married one day a week. <laughs> you love, you serve your spouse, you know, for one day a week. And then for the rest of the six days, it's as if your spouse didn't exist. Can you see the point I'm getting at? If Jesus is such a big deal to us on a Sunday, he should still be a big deal to us on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. This is what integrity and consistency is telling us. See, the example of marriage, it would never fly in any marriage. You stand there and you make vows, I do, for six, you know, one out of seven days. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, I'm going to commit my life to you to, for 1.2% of my life. No one, no one is going to be there and go, yes, I accept that. And if you do, you need more self-esteem. You can do better, right? No one would accept that. And yet, and yet, we live amongst Christians that, that, that declare themselves to be Jesus believers and Jesus lovers and, and Jesus followers. People that have, we, we would say that, that the sins of our lives have been paid because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, that because of what Jesus has done for me, I can live life to the max and eternity. We make these bold declarations and then as soon as we're at that door, God. And we think that that's okay. That's the problem. That's the problem. Suddenly this Jesus that gave us life eternal, who is the center of our worship, suddenly has no place in our lives, no say, no impact. There's no integrity in that. There's no consistency in that. You know what that is? That's called hypocrisy. That's called hypocrisy. Now, I'm going to pause right there because I'm going to go even further with this. But I'm going to pause right there. And before you start looking at me and start judging me because I'm a sinful person, I am a sinful person. 
And as much as I'm preaching this and sharing God's word with you, I am doing exactly the same thing to me. So just because I'm going to go hard on you doesn't mean I'm not going hard on myself, okay? Is that all right? Okay, don't, don't, don't think that I'm on some pedestal and I'm looking down and condemning everyone. Man, I, I'm, in, I'm in the boat with all of you. Okay, but let's go. Let me give you some examples of what this Sunday Christianity or Sunday church Christianity looks like. Now, before I go, I have to tell, tell you, these are not people-specific examples. Don't, after you hear an example, start thinking, who are they talking about? Are they talking about this person? Because I saw this person the other day. Wow, that sounds exactly like that girl. Okay, don't think like that. Because at the end of the day, this is all of us. And you need to hear this. Okay? Here's some very real examples, but not about real people. A dad who serves in the children's ministry, teaching children how to love God, read their Bibles, singing worship songs with them, and then when he gets home, does none of the above with his own children. A manager at work who serves in the welcoming team, opens doors to newcomers, greets them with encouraging words and words of blessing, but back at work is a potty mouth with a short fuse and so quick to point fingers at everyone else's faults. A member of the worship team, someone that everyone sees on stage every week worshiping God, Friday night work drinks and gets absolutely sloshed. And if you don't know what the word sloshed is, just ask anyone about, no, just kidding. (laughs) Someone in your life group always asks you, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, how can I be more involved in your life? Starts dating. Physical boundaries get compromised. Heart is not not guarded. And they give themselves to that boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. And it all happens in secret. I say it again. This isn't talking about somebody. This is talking about everybody. We are in one sense or another hypocritical. What's the difference between these examples and then the people in Titira who are worshipping God on Sunday and eating sacrificed foods and committing sexual immorality on Monday? What's the difference? There is no difference. Now, if you feel like I'm going a bit harsh on the church, it's because I love you. Because I think the the, the consequences are quite severe. If this is a bit of a wake-up call for you, then let it be. God's desire is for us to be there on that last day. God's desire 
is for you, no matter what you're going through, and no matter what your situation is, no matter what circumstances you're in, that you would be able to stand strong. Hold on. But friends, if we don't hold on, if we don't hold on, if we let one thing go and another thing go, we make one compromise and another compromise, you know what happens? You wake up and you realize, wow, I've come a really long way. You know, no married couple, right, no husband or wife wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? I'm going to cheat on my spouse today. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have sexual relations with someone in the office that's not my husband or wife. No one thinks like that. But what happens is one email, one comment, one flirtatious look, and then one meeting, and then one beer. And then one, you know, and then one, 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 and then they wake up and they're in bed with a stranger and they look back and go, wow, I've come. How did I get here? See, this is the problem with compromise. Compromise is the opposite to integrity, right? This is the problem with compromise. When you make that compromise, most of the time people don't think that it's such a big deal. And that's the same thing. That's the same thing as we worship God. Like, you know, worship God and, you know, worship the world. And in your life groups, you're going to have a great discussion about, you know, what are some real life examples of this, right? You know, I can worship God and, you know, I can pursue a career. Yes, you can, but you can't worship that career. I can, I can worship God and, and I can date. Of course you can. Of course you should. Especially those that are single, you should. But you can't worship dating. But it's this little compromise. Little compromise. Oh, it's raining today. I'll go to church just a bit later. Next week. Oh, no one really noticed that I was a bit late at church. I'll just go a little bit later. Oh, no one was there to really see me anyway. Next week, I just won't go to church. Done. Do you know it takes three weeks to stop going to church? They say, it's been proven. It only takes three consecutive Sundays for you to then suddenly go, hmm, I don't really need to go anymore. That's why it's so hard when people miss three weeks. It's a gradual process of compromise, of compromise, of compromise. And then one day, you look back and go, far out. I've come a really long way. How do we fight against this? Jesus commands, hold on. Hold on to what you have. And what we have. What we have is the gospel. What we have is the good news of Jesus. That Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That to be his disciple, that we need to lay down our lives, to take up our cross and to follow him. We need to hold on to the truth. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one goes to the Father but through me. That's what we hold on to. 
We need to take the Bible. Last week we said, how do you know what's false and what's true? Just know what's true really well. Open your Bibles. We take that and we sow it deeply in our hearts. And we hold on to the scriptures, to that word of life, because our souls depend on it. You know, it's funny, right? If you're in a hospital and, and, and someone's on life support, right? You go to a hospital, someone's on life support. No one ever goes, hey, I don't know, save some energy. Why don't we just turn it off for a few hours? <laughs> you know? I don't know if they're going to really need it. I, you know, let's just, you know, maybe they might come back. You know, maybe we'll turn it off for half a day. If we turn it on, maybe they might come back. Maybe they're not. You know what? No one would play with that. No one would even think about playing like that. Like, if you did that, you get tried for murder. And yet, spiritually, our attitude towards God's word, the one thing that we have, the one truth that we have, the one thing that tells us that this is the light, this is the lamp, this is what you need to hold on to. We are so flaky. We are so flaky. We are, so, we are more concerned about what the world says about advice and wisdom than what the word says. And then we kind of think, oh, I don't know why my faith isn't growing and I don't know why I'm struggling because it's, you're not holding on. It's as simple as that. People who have a, a flaky relationship with the word of God, literally you're, you're playing with your life support. Click, click. Click, 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 click. Friends, we, we need to understand. We need to have a better view of, of where God's word needs to sit. We need to hold on. We need to hold on because life gets tough. Life gets challenging. Uh, for those that have lived a certain amount. You, you know this. I don't have to tell you that life gets tough. I don't have to tell you that the temptations in this world are really, 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 really tempting. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that sinning is really fun. I hear this all the time. This one preacher always says it. If sinning is not fun, you're just not doing it right. Sin's amazingly fun. Short term. And then just ruins your soul. How do we fight against that? How do we stay consistent when life changes so quickly? We hold on. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Just like Jesus encouraged the church, the Christians in Titira, hold on. Until when? Until he returns. And this is where I'm going to land the plane. You've got to remember that there is an end. Either we will die and we will meet Jesus face to face or Jesus will come. And I know no one thinks like that. No one thinks like that. No one, no one here woke up and, and thought to themselves, is today the day? Is today the day that Jesus is going to come back? Don't you think that if you started thinking like that, you would live your life very differently? that you will plan your life very differently, that you will value things very differently. But the biblical truth tells us that there will be a day where your life will end, whether it's you die or whether Jesus comes back, and then you will need to account for your life. And what Jesus is saying is to the one that is victorious, 
which is who? The one that stays, the one that stands, the one that holds on to that one, I will give to them the kingdom. I will give to them the authority. I will give to them the morning star. Until that day, hold on. Now, for those as said, I'm preaching this. I think I'm, I'm, I'm more passionate about this because I'm, I'm more pointing fingers at myself. You know, I really had to stop. I really had to stop and ask, man, can I really, can I really share this sermon? When I look at myself and I just see hypocrisy all over my life. You know, lack of discipline all over my life. We had a board meeting and, and we're just sharing prayer points. And, and my prayer point was this, I, I'm just really lacking discipline. You know, how, how do we deal with that? It's just, well, you just got to hold on. Hold on to whatever you have. It might be a word. It might be a verse. It might be, it might be a thought of God. Whatever it is, just hold on. Hold on and God will come and take you. I pray that you wouldn't be a Sunday Christian. I pray that you wouldn't be a Sunday church Christian. But that your whole lives lived with integrity and consistently will continue to acknowledge God in all areas of your lives. And that you would hold on to what God has given us. Let's pray.